Hello, friends. Welcome to the 13th episode, the very first episode of 2024 of the Schoolyard Podcast, brought to you by School Specialty. I'm your host, Nancy Chung, a fun-loving teacher and content creator, also known as Fancy Nancy in Fifth on social media, and I'm thrilled that you're here. A special shout-out to School Specialty, who offers essential educational supplies and complete learning environment solutions to help you transform more than classrooms. School Specialty is excited to introduce Schoolyard Connect, a new site where educators can go to find helpful resources, including blogs, webinars, case studies, sample lesson plans, and more. Go to the site that's made for educators like you schoolspecialty.com forward slash schoolyard hyphen connect. This is the Schoolyard Podcast, a podcast by educators for educators where the magic of learning unfolds. Instilling the love of reading and math at a young age lays the foundation for a lifetime of learning and intellectual growth. Reading opens doors to vast realms of knowledge, sparking imagination and fostering critical thinking skills. Children who develop a love for reading early on are more likely to excel academically and become lifelong learners. Similarly, cultivating an early appreciation for math not only enhances cognitive abilities, but also instills problem-solving skills essential for everyday life. The combination of reading and math proficiency equips individuals with a well-rounded skill set, empowering them to navigate an increasingly complex and information-driven world. Beyond academic success, the love of reading and math nurtures curiosity, creativity, and a resilience to challenges preparing young minds to thrive in diverse fields and contribute meaningfully to society. The question is, how do we spark that love of reading and math? For this episode, we're in Houston, Texas at the Extra Yard for Teacher Summit, and I have two amazing guests here who will discuss the love of literacy and numeracy. Our first guest, Juan Edgar Gonzalez Jr., also known as Mr. G, is an elementary school teacher from Houston, Texas. He's well-known and well-loved for his love of literacy. Juan is one of the main speakers at the biggest teacher conference in the nation and uses his social media at teaching third with Mr. G to connect with teachers all over the world. His mission through this work is to spotlight the great work all educators are doing in classrooms and to inspire everyone to read more books. Our second guest, Rebecca Peterson, at Rebecca Peterson underscore, is a high school math teacher from Tulsa, Oklahoma, who just happens to be named the 2023 National Teacher of the Year. Yes, that's right. National Teacher of the Year. That means out of all the teachers who teach in the United States, she's recognized as the best of the best. As National Teacher of the Year, Rebecca plans to use her platform to highlight teacher stories of the good that's happening in education. Rebecca administers and has contributed 1,400 posts to the One Good Thing blog and credits daily postings on the blog to help her recognize the beautiful and positive experiences occurring in her classroom. Welcome to the schoolyard, Juan and Rebecca. 
Yay, we're excited Thank to be you. here. Thank you. Thanks so much for having us. It is such an honor to have both of you here at the Extra Yard for Teacher Summit. The summit will begin in a few hours. So the team is setting up around us as we record in person, our first in-person recording here at the, the Word of the Theater. You might hear some hustle and bustle in the background. Now, for those of you listening in who are not familiar, the annual Extra Yard for Teacher Summit, hosted by the College Football Playoff Foundation, is a free celebration open to all educators and is an extraordinary opportunity to fuel passion for teaching and leading, gain new insights, and letting others celebrate you and your remarkable contribution to education. In addition to hearing from some amazing speakers, those in attendance will be walking away with some really cool swag bags from the sponsors. I know School Specialty is giving away a bunch of gift cards and of course, Schoolyard Podcast t-shirts. All right, Juan and Rebecca, um, is this your first time at the summit? This is my first time, how about you? Same, first time. Me too, isn't it amazing? It's the venue so cool. is beautiful. Now you two are truly the experts in literacy and numeracy. Have you always loved reading as a child, Juan? Yeah, I always say like that was a privilege of mine is that coming into the classroom when I, I wanted to be a teacher, I was most excited about teaching literacy. And so I came in and I've always loved books. And I got to the classroom and I thought all the kids would love books and we know that's not always the case. Right. And so for me, yes, it was always natural for me. It was innate. Um, and I think that's what helps um, keep that passion alive when I'm in the classroom. What about you, Rebecca? What about you, Rebecca? Have you always loved math? I have always loved math. Um, reading came a lot more difficult to me. I'm an immigrant to the United States, so um, I was trying to learn how to read in a language that I didn't speak at home. Um, so, but math was consistent, you know? Math is math no matter what right. language. And, w and what's your primary language? What was your first my language? First, my, my best language is now English, but my first language was Swedish. My mom is Swedish and my dad's oh, Iranian. Okay. Oh. Kind of have a similar experience. I immigrated to the U.S. when I was 10 in fifth grade. I didn't speak a word of English. I think I just knew hi and thank you. <laughs> that was and it. Thank you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So reading was such a challenge for me. And to make things worse, like my mom and sister are avid readers, and so they would force these books on me that were like way above my reading level that I didn't find interesting. And so I, I feel like that just sucked the love of reading out. And to make things worse, my mom used to make me like write book reports or book summaries. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> right. So math was my kind of like kind of yeah, like my go-to subject as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, so for students like myself and maybe a reader, young reader, how do you instill the love of reading or math in your students when they're a little reluctant or scared of math, scared of reading? Can we yeah. start with you, Rebecca? Yeah, so for for mathematics, for numeracy, I think it, it starts with us as teachers, mm -hmm. right? Um, it's so important that I have that passion and that love mm -hmm. for math. And I think it's also so important as teachers that we see that we really broaden our definition of mathematics, mm -hmm. that it's not about rote memorization or memorizing some formulas. That mathematics is all around us, mm -hmm. right? And so it is recognizing that we all do math every day yes. and recognizing how our students view the world and how they view math and um, affirming that in them and helping them to broaden their perspective on math as well. What you want? Definitely. And so I think when it comes to finding a love for it and meeting these students who are reluctant in math or in literacy, I always think of it as like if I was to invite you out to dinner 
and we say we're gonna go have hamburgers and then you say well I don't like hamburgers and I say no no hamburgers are important you need to like hamburgers uh -huh. <laughs> right and then all of a sudden you get closed off you start building right. the wall and you start thinking like no it's not for me and all of a sudden we start building that part of their identity mm -hmm. and so what I found is like really allowing students to find their identity in reading and in math and so when they come to you and they tell you I'm not a fan of literacy you say oh yeah that, yeah I can see that let me show you why you can fall in love with it and I think so many times because math and literacy are such a huge part of academia that it's so easy to just force it upon them when instead meet them where they are and then show them what it could be that's an awesome analogy. I've never yeah. really thought about it that way. Yeah. I'm always like trying to push like sushi on my friends who don't <laughs> like sushi. <laughs> like or reading, like yeah. right, like pushing reading or pushing pushing yeah. math without offering any like anecdotes or you know right. like different strategies to like it. In your experience, how important is the role of parents or caregivers in nurturing a child's love for reading and math, having them become lifelong lovers of reading or math? Let's start with you, Juan. Yeah, we know it's so important to have these conversations at home, but we also know we deal with students that come from all different backgrounds. And so if we put a lot of um, worth in hoping that they, we get the support from home, sometimes we are setting ourselves up for a failure. And so as an educator, I like to think about what can we control in our schools and our classroom to really instill that love. And of course, when we have that extra support, we know it's beneficial, we know it helps them. But we also know, and in my experience, it's not that's not always there everybody's dealing with different things and so I think it's important as educators is that we think about that because we can set up ourselves for failure to think like because these aren't happening we can't be successful and I think we can still be successful um, and when we can get that support that's just like a cherry on top. Yeah. So during, yeah, during COVID too, right? Like yeah. we had some families who had so much support from their parents who made them read or, you know, not made them read, but, you know, gave them books to read and, you know, did, you know, like some extra review, math review with them and some families who had nothing, right? Mm -hmm. okay. How about you, Rebecca? Yeah, I did everything mm -hmm. one said. Mm -hmm. um, but if there are parents listening, um, <laughs> I do think that the way we talk about, I mean, I, you know, I think particularly mathematics really matters and I, I think there is a bit of a dichotomy because you don't, it's typically not socially acceptable as an adult to say like, I just like, I don't really know how to read, you know, but it's, mm -hmm. it is pretty socially acceptable to be like, I'm just not a math person, you know, and um, I think as adults, um, as, as parents, educators, um, the next generation is looking at us, right, and so how we talk about math really matters um, and I my philosophy is that we are all math people even if math class was not your cup of tea maybe we need to be looking at how we redefine math class so that math is a safe place for all our students um, and so yeah I would um, I would push on on us as adults to really be mindful about how we talk particularly about math as a society because it very much what our children here very much matters. I, mean, I feel like, you know, it's all about real life problems now, mm -hmm. right? At the elementary level, we're always doing these like, um, like CGI math lessons or things that really take them like to like a deeper understanding of math. How is it like in high school? Like, do you guys do a lot of hands-on math, a yeah. lot of real life Well, I always say we high school teachers have a lot to learn from elementary teachers, you know, when I visit my <laughs> elementary classrooms and like, like, look, stations, why aren't we doing stations in, in high school? But yeah, I, um, so my favorite class to teach is, um, is calculus. And I love teaching calculus because it's really ubiquitous. 
calculus. Like anywhere you see a rate or an accumulation like that is in calculus. And so getting to apply mathematics to what my students experience is really fulfilling and they get to really kind of see like, ah, you know, so that's why we had, like I call them like, the vegetables and the meat of like geometry, algebra, and trigonometry, right? And now like we get the dessert of calculus, but um, not, I would like I've to. never thought of calculus <laughs> as a dessert, but, <laughs> have, but have you taken it? Um, you know, it's just like a lovely sort of everything kind of comes to fruition with that course. But the thing is, is that not every kid has the opportunity to take right. that class, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I think once again, we need to look at how how we're structuring our pathways. Well, that leads right into my next question, which is, uh, can you share some examples of successful strategies or initiatives that foster genuine enthusiasm for for learning? Can we start with you, Becca? Yeah. <laughs> so I I think any time I can bring in more collaboration with my students and more games, even teenagers mm -hmm. love games. Um, for one, it really fosters the sense of community, that we're like working together. The research shows that um, particularly adolescents have become worse at working independently post-pandemic. But I say like, can, can we harness that, right? Like, so they like to work together and that is a lifelong skill, right? So um, anything where they can collaborate, can communicate together, where I'm sort of taking myself out of the center and letting them um, work with their peers has been really successful. And games, like logic games, non-curricular games that take a little bit of time in the beginning, give us a little bit of a brain break, I find really help in the research shows, like help, it helps them store the content into their long-term memory then. And then I get to see different students shine, right? Mm -hmm. um, as you see like multiple different kinds of intelligences as we're playing different mm -hmm. logic games or thinking games or again non-curricular. And you could tap games. into those strengths, yeah. right? When you yeah, and then their peers see it too. Right, exactly. How about you, yeah. And For me, the biggest strategy is really, I think like when I've talked to teachers, when it comes to reading, and especially like when we get to third grade, especially here in Texas, it's all about state assessment, right? And right. that's how we do reading. And so it's we're just looking at reading at an academic level, even in elementary. And we forget that we have to have these conversations about what does it mean to have a reading life? And so really allowing and showcasing my reading life. So when I check out a new book at the library, or when I purchase new books from my personal library or the classroom library, or when I'm in a reading run and I don't feel like reading, really showcasing those aspects of what it means to be a reader so that it feels more human to them instead of just a school thing. Because so many times when you're talking to young readers is that they think reading is a school thing. They don't associate it, they don't understand. And I tell them all the time, the video games you love, the, the on social media, the, the movies you watch, that's all storytelling. Those are books. And that's why we attach ourselves to those things because we love stories. That, from the beginning of time, human beings, we've that's always right. loved stories. And so that's what reading provides for us. And so I think changing the angle for what reading is and just really showcasing a reading life, I think is such a huge part that's missing in our reading instruction. And regardless of where the readers are, of course, we know that they need to learn how to read, right? But once we teach them how to read, what's the next level? Because I think a big focus, and it's so important, is how are we instructing them to read print, right? And that's so important. But after that, 
we can't always hope that they're going to naturally understand the process why they want to be a reader and so really juggling both where are they what do they need to be and benefiting them but then once you're there really showcasing what reading is outside of the academic world when you uh, mentioned the books and the movies, I it's so funny. I've my some of my students will find a book in my library and go, "Oh my gosh, there's a like you know because there's a book first and then the movie, right? Sure. But some of them think it's the other, the other way, way around. around. Like they wrote a book from this movie. I'm like, no, it's the other way around. They had the book first and then they made the movie, and they're like, Precious. whoa! I know, I'm like okay, maybe read it and see if you know see how similar they are, or how different they are, right? They love doing that. Okay, so. Do you have any um, tips on how educators can integrate technology and multimedia resources to enhance uh, reading and math skills that still maintain a sense of joy uh, and curiosity in the learning process? So, yeah. yeah so, yeah, integrating technology and multimedia. What do you think, Juan? And for me, I mean, you know, reading, and I tell my readers this all the time. We know that, um, you know. Re electronic readers exist and if you're the type of reader who likes reading ebooks go for it mm -hmm. and I tell them all the time like I like holding a book and that's the type Me of reader too. I am the actual flipping of the pages <laughs> yeah and so to kind of make that connection with uh, with just technology I say I always read with my phone by my hand because there's sometimes there are words that I don't know or sometimes a fact that I learned that I want to learn more about and so that's just kind of a way we know phones exist with like it's in everybody's hand all the time. So we're, how does it exist when we're reading? And so kind of making that connection of seeing when I'm thinking, when I see a word I don't know, when I, I'm presented with the fact that I want to know more about, I make a note of it on my phone. And so it's a way of understanding of how I can bridge those two worlds. And because for me as a reader, I like reading print. And I think when it comes to, to reading and technology, um, those, are, those are too hard, to, for me at least, it's hard to combine without just going all electronic. Um, for me, it's like I still like print, but just kind of showing how both um, can it coexist and how they can benefit the reading process is fun for me. Yeah, I, yeah, but we need both. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, math. I'm like, I gotta see, gotta see it. I need a pencil. Um, so we know we learn by the hand, right? Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's just there's such a, a plethora of of resources out there, and certainly, you know, I think a lot of schools or districts like you know you have have the technology that you're asked to use need to use but when I have the choice I can come back to this question of like is the technology going to connect me to my students more or less you know or is it going to connect me to our parents and guardians more or less because I think we know that technology can be um it can be disruptive as well, right? Like there's a, a point where it like becomes too much and where it becomes a way to feel almost disconnected. And yet, mm -hmm. there are so many beautiful pieces of technology that I honestly, I can't imagine teaching without. Um, I, during the pandemic, I flipped my classroom. Oh, oh yeah. Oh. And so I, um, I recorded and all my, all my lessons and my students now watch those lessons. I don't know, not watch. They interact with the content at home, mm -hmm. and then they come back in class, and we collaboratively work on the assignment together. Uh -huh. And I feel like I'm doing math with my students now mm -hmm. instead of at them, you know. Yes, and that was something I never would have tried without well, without the pandemic, but also without technology, right? Mm -hmm. And so I feel like when you intersect technology with connection, you can mm -hmm. have really powerful outcomes. Mm -hmm. um, even just like sending a survey of like, hey, tell me how your week is going, or mm -hmm. um, you know, what's one thing you want me to know? I find that 
students are a little bit more, a little bit more brave behind a screen, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And so even if I ask the same thing written, sometimes they'll tell me a little bit more if they can type it behind, mm -hmm. and, and behind a screen mm -hmm. versus writing it on paper and pencil, right, which right, maybe right. sounds odd, but I don't know, I think we're all just a little bit braver. And mm -hmm. so harnessing technology and harnessing like our, our shared humanity um, and looking for ways where technology can help us connect more, those are the types of resources that I, that I search for. Um, while also being cognizant that we just can't do all the things and learn all the platforms, you know? Right. Exactly. Because there's, like you said, way too many. There's so there. many. Yeah, yeah. I'm well, obsessed with what you said about how making sure that technology is connecting us yeah. to this experience because it can be so isolating. It can be so isolating. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah I, say, I say a lot, like, I think we're past the COVID pan, like, COVID is still here, but I think the pandemic, we've mostly said goodbye to, but I think our new pandemic is the pandemic of isolation. Yes. And, um, so true. you know, and we see, yeah, yeah, it plays a role in our communities, in our schools. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So as a teacher, I know between all, like among all three of us, we have many, many years of teaching. As a teacher, what are some, what, are, what was like the biggest mistake you made as a teacher? And what mistake will you never make again? Um, my first two years of teaching, the whole thing. Only if you knew all the things that you know now back then. Yeah, it was scary, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. tell us what you did. <laughs> Every, I mean, we do everything wrong. And I think it's, a, I mean, when I think back and, you know, I think about all the things that I did, um, I see all the mistakes, but I think the beauty of our work is that we're allowed to make mistakes because there's learning and making those mistakes. Yes. And so now looking back, um, even though there's a little bit of, you know, cringe to it or a little regret, um, but we also know that the learning process is filled with mistakes mm -hmm. and kids are so resilient and we can make those mistakes and know that we can come back and when we know better, we do better yeah. and we can come back and say, hey, you know what, I think this is a better way to attack this or this is a, let me show you a different way because I think the first way that I did it wasn't really beneficial. Mm -hmm. And so I think um, while I'm still making mistakes, they're not as often as in the very beginning. Um, I just think it's, I've made many and I, I, I've accepted them and I don't know, um, and it's so hard too because I can't, I could tell you like don't ever do this, but also in this work is that sometimes we know that one year it was really beneficial with the group of kids we're working with, yeah. and then another year it's yeah. not beneficial at all. All the teachers and, listening right now are like, amen, yeah. <laughs> yeah. right? And so I think, yeah, I've made plenty of mistakes, but we, as long as we are learning from them and we are moving forward, um, that's what's important. So if you're listening to this and you're in the year of mistakes, the month of mistakes, whatever, it's okay because we've all been there. Oh yeah, I can have said that. Yeah, 100%. I don't, I, I don't know, I made a lot of mistakes, but I think the biggest like mindset shift that I, I don't want to go back to is um, my first three years of teaching were actually at the college level, and so coming in to like a pub very large public high school, I thought I was like this sage on stage, you know, like this dispenser of information, and um, I really much regret having that mind frame uh, or that mindset. So shifting that to um, trying to remove myself from the center as much as possible and trying to center my students. Um, again, it's not like not something I get right every day, but I feel like I'm getting closer to, um, yeah, to making sure that again I'm not I'm not doing math at my kids, mm -hmm. you know, like that I'm really doing the learning with them and alongside them, um, and that they feel like 
they're really invested and not just um, I'm taking in the information, but actually like learning and growing. I say that I, I'm really my first again few years. I felt like I was <laughs> like manufacturing solvers of X, mm. and now I feel like I'm getting closer to fostering mathematical thinkers. Oh. Wow, that's perfect. I know, I know. So well Gosh, said. No wonder she's the national teacher. Exactly. Of the year. <laughs> so well said. And I think yeah. that not teaching at kids is so yeah. important. And then that takes me back to when I have to remind myself that read or learning is a bunch of small moments. Yeah, 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 yeah. When I think about all the things I know, it's not this one great lesson that right. the great teachers in my life that taught me. Right. It's all the little moments in the classroom is what's benefiting mm -hmm. the learning it's accumulation, process. Accumulation, which is calculus. Calculus. <laughs> Look at that. Dessert. Dessert. <laughs> <laughs> no, for me, I think the biggest mistake, I thought I was being very rigorous. I thought I was being the best teacher. Yeah. So I was just grading every single paper that came across my desk mm. and just focus so much on the academics only. Yeah. But we know that's not the right way to teach, right? Yeah. So in my 27th year of teaching, I'm grading so much less, yeah. but that doesn't mean that my students are learning any less. Agreed. They're learning yes. so much more Agreed. because I'm not spending, like I'm not buried under right. a pile, like yes. you can breathe. Piles of papers, yeah. yeah. And I'm building relationships yeah. and making the connections like you yeah. mentioned. Because yeah. I think when you have that deep connection with your students and they know that you care about them, then you can have them do anything, yes. anything right? Yes. Yeah. You can get them to love reading, yes. try new books, exactly. and you can get them to love exactly. Yes, yeah. what you're saying right. reminds me like when I first started teaching writing, um, I didn't understand what it meant to build a writer, so I only worked from what I knew. So when they showed me their piece of writing, I talked about conventions, I talked about spelling. Mm -hmm. And so when and now I know that when we're working with writers, I, someone once told me this, is that when we're asking our kids to write, they're like turtles without their shells. Mm -hmm. And so when they present their writing to us, yeah, and it's the first so thing vulnerable. I'm saying, first thing I'm saying is like, oh, this word's not okay. Look at your handwriting. Yeah, yeah, then yeah, they're yeah, building yeah. that wall and they're not going to want to do right, the work. Right, but right. when we are really fostering that love and they build that connection with them, then we can get them to look at their writing and look at the convention yes. piece. But if that's the first thing we attach yeah. and the first thing we talk yeah, all about. All those red marks on the paper, yes. they're going to shut down and never yeah. want to write again. Yeah. And so when you brought that up, that reminded me like when I first taught writing, those were the first conversations I had with writers. And now that's, I wait because when that connection is there and the trust mm -hmm. is there, right. then you can get them to do anything because they trust you in the things that you're coaching yeah. them to as a student, I remember getting back papers with all these like red marks. I'm like, oh gosh, you know, like I had such a fear of making mistakes. Yes. Fear of imperfection, yes. you know? And so that just kind of, so if, if I know that I'm not going to be amazing at something, like I don't do it. Try. I don't want to yeah, do it. Course. I want to yeah. stay away yeah. from it. So yeah. I can understand where the kids are coming from. Yeah. Yeah. But we, yeah. when we went to school, it was, I mean, well, I'm a lot older than you guys, but it was a lot, it, the, the mind shift, like the mindset was very different. Very different. Right? So conventions was like the first thing that you corrected yeah. and right yeah so even in math when I yeah. when I used to when I first started teaching correcting math quizzes or math tests were fast because it was right either, you right, were or right or wrong yep. Yep. now it's like writing it like grading an essay right, right. you have to think of because they have to justify their Correct. reasoning and yes. understand uh, like yes. you know like they have to um, like I don't know like demonstrate their understanding yes. So I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like yeah. a novel. Right. But they get partial but, credit because it's the thinking process yes. that we're rewarding and yes. not just the writing. So yes, right. I think there's been a big shift to mm -hmm. um, valuing our students' questions mm -hmm. and, and mistakes, like knowing that mistakes are expected, yes. right? Mm -hmm. um, and valued and corrected. Um, and so I'm just coming back to the like mistakes part. I, I don't know, something I, I 
I really have shifted instead of saying like, do you have any questions? Mm -hmm. What questions do you have for me? Or ask me two questions, right? Like expecting those Mm -hmm. questions and making that part of our classroom culture. Uh Mm -hmm. So good. Yeah. Well, uh, what advice do you have for educators who want to create a positive and supportive learning environment that encourages curiosity and passion for for both reading and math? Yeah, I think it goes back to what Rebecca said about how we bring the humanity back to the work that we do. Mm-hmm. And so just that's how we make those connections. When we are just, like she said, teaching at them and we're talking about math and literacy mm-hmm. and this sense of like, it's academics, this is what you do. This is mm-hmm. instead really bringing the human aspect of it um, is how we're going to see those connections and making them want to become readers, writers, mm-hmm. mathematicians. So I think that's what that's always in the back of my head when I'm looking at my lesson. Where is the where is the human part of it so that it feels very real to them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we have to be like excited about the content too, yes. right? I always say like, yeah. If I'm Kids not pick up on that, yeah. Mm-hmm. If I'm not excited to teach this, mm-hmm. yeah. Why would my students be excited mm-hmm. to learn it? So do you know? Yes. Um, so bringing in ways that make it exciting for us to teach, like our, it's palpable. Our students feel that, um, and I think. Yeah, whatever that looks like for you. Um, again, for me, I love to see my students just having fun in the classroom, and and so we do. We like we we play a lot of games and and bring kind of that joy back and maybe like a little bit of competitiveness too, right? Just like making it fun and um, even through the competition, like making it a little less serious, you know. Um, but I also come back to like our. Our English teachers are so good about when a student comes to them and they say like, I just don't really like reading. Your response is always, oh honey, you just haven't found you the right book yet. Mm-hmm. Right, let me find you, let me help you find one. Uh-huh. Why is that not our response in mathematics, right? When kids say, I just don't really like math. Shouldn't our response be, we just haven't found you the right problem yet, you know? And we, as a society, really put all our eggs in the like algebra and geometry basket, right? But we know as a culture, like, and we affirm in our students that some of them are gonna love poetry and some mm-hmm. of them are gonna like graphic novels and some of them are gonna love Shakespeare and some of them are not. And that's okay, that's beautiful, right? Because we're different. Yeah. But I don't think we have that same sort of mindset in mm-hmm. math. Like some of them are gonna love geometry, mm-hmm. but some of them are gonna be more interested in statistics <laughs> mm-hmm. or yeah. data science mm-hmm. or algebra mm-hmm. or not, you know? I mean, there's right. just so many branches of mathematics that mm-hmm. our students don't even get to tap into. Um, and so that's a really big ask for teachers. Um, to me, that's a, a systems level question. Yeah. Yeah. But there are little ways we can still bring in those other uh, those And other I love that you're still like, creating like fun lessons at yeah. the high school level. Oh yeah. So I feel like fun stops a lot like yeah. after elementary. But so it can't, you know, like it because can't. then it's, it's going to not feel fun for us as teachers. Exactly. exactly. And then we're not going to love our job. Exactly. exactly. And that's uh, that's vicious. We know where that ends. Awesome. Right? Yes. We know so where much. that goes. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so <laughs> do you have any books that you're reading now? Like for enjoyment? Like what are you reading yeah. right now? So we just finished reading the Harry Potter series, me for the second time. Mm -hmm. We have an eight-year-old son. Um, So we just finished Mm -hmm. reading um, all seven. We actually came to Dallas, um, I don't know, a few weeks ago. They had this like Harry Potter experience from Uh the Wizarding World. So we just finished those with our son a couple weeks ago. Um, But yeah, for fun, I... I really love to just read like kind of rom-coms if you can, mm-hmm, like, uh, mm-hmm. that's a good genre. Um, and I 
but I love audiobooks as well. Yes, and I, me too. Interestingly, mm-hmm. I like to like listen mm-hmm. to nonfiction, mm-hmm. but oh. read fiction. I don't know. I've realized that recently. So yeah, I really enjoy it when it's the author. Okay. Like a memoir or something, yeah, I sure. love listening to that because mm-hmm. then I hear mm-hmm. the person's voice. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. And all of those pieces make you a reader, listening yeah, to stories, yeah. reading the stories. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. How about you, Juan? And so me, so anytime we're just coming off a big winter break, mm-hmm. and so for me, like I always say, like, okay, this is when I'm going to read adult books. Like I'm mm-hmm. going to be a grown up. <laughs> right. Because as a, as a teacher, like I love reading young adult. I love reading picture books because it inspires lessons. Yeah. And it, I'm when I know more literature, I always say like I need to build my literacy knowledge. Mm-hmm. I can make better connections to the work and to the kids that I serve. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, so we love the series in my classroom, The Wild Robot, mm-hmm. by Peter Brown. Yes, Fantastic uh-huh. novel series. I, I'm obsessed with it, and it always engages the students. Well, this past semester, what happened was our persuasive writing unit lined up perfectly with. Um, the end of the, the first novel and so one of my lessons for my students were that they were needed they had to write a persuasive letter to me as to why we should read the, the sequel mm-hmm. and so I was um, that was like their big essay for the end of the, as we we're finishing off before mm-hmm. break and so then I'm rereading the wild robot escapes mm-hmm. so I can kind of because it's not part of my curriculum but I'm always I have to know it well so I can find ways to connect it to the right. standards to find it to the connections yeah. to the curriculum mm-hmm. that I'm responsible for and so I just I've just re- finished rereading that and um, and then I always love telling my students how many times I've read the novel because mm-hmm. it, I pick up something new every time, I a new word, that. and I have a new life experience, and so I connect to something differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and so rereading books is a good thing. Yes. Um, you always discover something new. Yes, different. absolutely. Uh, I'm guilty of like only reading children's books, so I can say like, okay, you like dogs? All right, read this one. Yes. Or you like, okay, if you like this one, you're gonna like this one, so I can recommend. But yeah. you know, but I do listen to Audible yeah, yeah, while yeah, I'm like yeah. walking my exactly, dog. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Because we never have like. I don't know. Excuses. You don't have time to yourself. I have time to scroll on social media, but I have like time to read. <laughs> yeah. So I listen I to my audio book and I'll go on a walk. Yeah, I like multitasking. Yeah. Right. yeah. Okay, so this is January 2024, and I know a lot of people start the year off by making New Year's resolutions, right? I yeah. kind of stopped making resolutions because <laughs> I know like by like end of January or February, I kind of fall off. Um, so instead of a resolution, if you could have maybe a wish, like a wish for maybe all teachers or students uh, for 2024, what, what, what would it be, Juan? Hmm. My wish for teachers in 2024 would be that we get back to the art of teaching, mm-hmm. of just like finding our passion and why we chose to do this profession, and for the systems that we work for to finally realize the value that we are putting into society and just getting us the raise that we all deserve, getting us the, the support, and just kind of getting back to really honoring this amazing work that we do, that this is why we chose to do it. And so my wish is that we just get back to understanding this, this big work and mm-hmm. helping everybody understand how important it is. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. yeah, mine's similar. I think my wish is that teachers um, recognize, like, this is really hard work. Mm-hmm. And... This is really beautiful work. Um, my wish is that they feel incredibly connected to their students and their colleagues, to their communities, and that um, on the hard days, they remember that what they do really matters and um, that this work is its the long game. 
you know, and, and that's sometimes easy to lose sight of. So my wish is that um, at the end of the year, their students can look back and say, you know, that, that they grew to become better readers, mathematicians, scientists, historians, better people, and that we as teachers can look back and say, we're better too. As you're talking, I was thinking of like what my wish would be, and I loved watching your snippets of like the one good thing yeah. on your social media. Yeah. And like what you said too, like to find the beauty in teaching, to find, like to kind of like rekindle that, that passion that we had when we first started teaching. Mm -hmm. if, if all the teachers can just really go, get back to loving what they do, yeah. not feeling so beat down yeah. um, after so many challenges and yes. hurdles that we had to go through in the past few years, if we could find that passion, if we could find that one good thing yeah. every single day, That's right. I think that'll just make a yeah, huge save impact. Save my career. Yeah. Yeah. I think we have to take care of each other. Absolutely. Yes. Like we have to take good, good care of each other. All right. yeah. Okay, so we have a segment on our podcast called Tag Your It, where listeners write in a question for us to answer. And today's question comes from Ethan C. And his question is, if you could have any superpowers, what would it be and why? I mean, you guys already have many superpowers, but... Okay, superpower. I have always said that I would really love to have the superpower of being able to like read honestly and I'm a math teacher but to be able to read um, like speed read and have photographic memory through that Ooh, that's you know cool. like read quickly and remember mm -hmm. that would be amazing How about you? And for me I think the ultimate superpower would be the ability to fly right so the ultimate power that will bring adventure will bring um, the ability to help um, so 100% the, the superpower to fly it's one up there. <laughs> Helping out, guys. Do you have ever, do you have, do you have dreams that you're flying, and you wake up saying that's the superpower I want? No, I don't think I, you know. I don't think I've ever had a dream. It's just in my daydreams. Uh -huh. I've had the, the daydream. Uh -huh. What about you? Do you have a superpower? You oh my would? gosh, I come up with all these questions, but I don't know how to answer. <laughs> I think. Well, okay. I used to think if I could read people's minds, Ooh. like I would love that. Uh-uh, that's not But then me. I don't want that anymore. No, no. <laughs> I'd be like, oh no, they're thinking like this of me. Yeah. Oh, no. Have you all ever watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer? No. There was a episode where she was able to read people's minds, and then you saw like the negative aspect, because yeah. now you're listening to oh, all yeah. these things that are for you mm -hmm. to, yeah. to know. And so, yes, of course, we'd love to like live in people's yeah, heads, but then we'll yeah. start picking up on... Yeah. yeah. Many years ago, there was a show um, called Heroes. Oh, yeah, I watched yeah. it. Yeah. That was so scary. It was real scary. Uh -huh. it got, it, you know, it, it started got, out got really like, yeah. exciting, and it got scarier yeah. and scarier. So I was like, okay, never mind. No, <laughs> yeah. super, no superpowers for yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this was so fun. Rebecca and Juan, it was a true honor having you both here uh, on the Schoolyard Podcast today. Thank you for being so positive and uh, making a positive impact on all teachers and all the students across the nation. So thank Such you so a treat. much. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you for having us. We're getting ready to head out to check out the summit to get inspired and celebrate <laughs> teachers across the U.S. Good luck, Rebecca, during your session. I can't wait to see you on stage. Thank you for joining us for the 13th episode of the Schoolyard Podcast. Remember to pack your curiosity and meet us back in the schoolyard for our next episode. Tag, you're it. Now it's your turn to write in with a question, which we will answer here on the Schoolyard Podcast for our segment called Tag Your It. Tag us on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, or Twitter at School Specialty and hashtag Schoolyard Tag Your It with a question that you want answered. 
one question will be selected per episode to be answered by our featured guest and myself. If your question is chosen to be answered on the podcast, we will send you a very special Schoolyard Podcast t-shirt. Class dismissed.